Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. Iqbal Acha is a career consultant, leadership coach, and professional speaker, and head of Acha International Consulting. In this episode, we talk about what brought him into entrepreneurship, how to craft your story and resume to get the job, a step-by-step guide on how to grow your LinkedIn account, and why you should be reaching out to hiring managers and decision makers, and how you can build a long-lasting relationship with them. This is a jam-packed episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Hey guys, we got an awesome episode here. Uh, I have one of my most uh, favorite people of all time on the show, and I'm really excited about it. Hey, Iqbal, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Zane. Nice to see you uh, for the first time, but to talk to you so many times over and over. Very excited to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, well, thank, well, first of all, thank you. But no, it's kind of weird. Like the last uh, couple of years have been kind of whirlwind for me. You were kind of one of the first people I got in touch with, and you really changed my trajectory. Uh, whether you believe it or not, you really did. And it's, um, and then to your point, this is actually, I didn't even realize this is the first time we're actually seeing each other. And it's been kind of weird. I've made so many like tight connections with so many people online. And, you know, this podcast has been actually a great vessel for me to actually see people that I've been talking to for years. And at, at this point, it's, it's remarkable, right? Like, you know, normally before the pandemic, we would have been like, oh, you know, where are you, where am I? Uh, and then in the next six or 12 months, you know, we're going to find a way to connect, right? I'll, I'll meet you in a mid-city um, or I'll drive and we'll just have coffee, right? But, you know, I think now that we've, at least for myself, I'm in the same boat. I find myself feeling connected to people through these types of mediums, which is kind of weird, but it's also like, look, it, it can be done. Uh, so, yeah, very happy to do this. Very happy to connect. Yeah, no, I mean... It took me a little bit to get over it too, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a person that really likes to talk to people face-to-face, uh, mainly because of body language, right? Because you, you want to make sure that you're saying the right things or whatever. Um, so it was a little awkward. But I think the, with the pandemic and, you know, like video calls and so on and so forth, that made the transition a little bit easier. But uh, yeah, I would love to get into kind of the people that don't know who you are. Do you mind giving us a little background about you, kind of where, where you started and where you are now? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do that, Zane. So by trade, I am a pharmacist. I actually graduated from Midwestern University in 1999, uh, married with two kids while I was in school. So everything was like, how fast can I get through school, get a degree and get a job? Uh, And this was at a very different point, right? This was at a point where pharmacists were being offered six jobs for every graduate that came out of school. So, you know, took the best opportunity that was available I found myself progressing very quickly in my career from a floater to a staff to a pharmacy manager in six months. Uh, And, you know, that that was that was phenomenal to have that opportunity. But, you know, you you, realize that uh, there was more that I could do uh, and I really wanted to pursue those avenues. So after about a year of working in that space, I became I got bit by an entrepreneurial bug. Uh, And so for the next six or seven years, I opened up like a lot of different companies within the healthcare space. So I started a pharmacy technician training company with my good friend, Mayur. I started and opened two independent pharmacies. I started a clinical consulting company working with long-term care facilities uh, to reassess and reconcile medications for their patients. Uh, My God, just a whole bunch of different things, uh, including as well a medical billing company, which is a little off, off, off the beaten path. Uh, but I did this for like six or seven years, uh, very in- exciting times, building relationships with other healthcare professionals, executives, and learning how other individuals and organizations operate and coming up either with solutions internally or partnering them with other people that I knew that could offer that advice. And that's the one thing I learned at that point was, you know, if you can help somebody else, even if it's not you, you just help them by connecting them with somebody, like everyone wins, everyone wins. And that's how I found myself you know, being, uh, being able to advance my career. Uh, lots of things changed. I uh, went through a, a life, personal life change. I actually ended up going through a divorce and I sort of like decided to reevaluate my priorities, sold all of my businesses, 
came to work for Walmart as a pharmacist while I sorted through that and their HR team, come, their HR division found me. Uh, and they had heard about me through the work I had done within Illinois and Wisconsin and a variety of other things. So they said, hey, why don't you come join us and help us hire pharmacists, optometrists, and later on nurses? And I was like, yeah, why not? So the last 17 years of my career have literally been working in talent acquisition, whether independently and individually hiring pharmacists, optometrists, nurses, LPNs, and other healthcare executives to either work for Walmart and later on Anthem, um, or offering uh, services in a consulting capacity uh, for other organizations to help them recruit better and then to help individual uh, career uh, advancers rebrand and redesign their, uh, their resumes, their interview skills, and their LinkedIn profiles to make them more attractive. So a weird arc, uh, <laughs> just a weird arc. Uh, but by, you know, by God's grace, in every single way, uh, there's just been value for myself and for the clients and for the people I've worked with. So that kind of brings me to where I am today, uh, just consistently helping people see things in a different perspective and helping them refine the way that they approach the work that they do. Wow. I mean, I mean, I've heard that before, but every time I hear it, it just blows my mind, all the things that you've done. Um, so like, what was it, what got you into the entrepreneurial world? Like, was it something like with your childhood or you just kind of met somebody like what kind of led you down that path? So it's remarkable because I really had no ambition to do anything on my own. I was like, look, I'm married with two kids. Like there are mouths to feed, there are bills to pay. The last thing I wanna do is take a loan and, and take a risk at this point. Uh, but I ended up actually, so when I left uh, Walgreens after the first year of moving up those up that corporate ladder, right? Staff, floater staff, pharmacy manager, um, I ended up working with a very intelligent uh, and very humble uh, pharmacist by the name of Mahendra Katao. And he taught me the business in nine months. He taught me about procurement. He taught me about you know sales. He taught me about uh, partnerships. And I mean, I had just no clue that this was even a possibility. And I enjoyed learning from him while I was working. And at some point, like I think like maybe within a year's time, like he called me to his little office and he's, you know, if, if you're Indian or Pakistani, you know, like we all just call each other beta and like, you know, uncle. And he's like, beta, you know, I think I've done as much as I can. It's, you know, I love you like a son. It's time for you to leave. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, look, you just can go do this by yourself. Uh, and he's like, I'll still support you. You know, I'll give you advice, but you should try it. Um, and so based on his trust uh, and the guidance that he gave me, I opened up my first pharmacy. Uh, and it was an outpatient pharmacy in a now closed uh, hospital health system called Edgewater Medical Center up in uh, near Evanston, like Rogers Park area. Um, and, you know, we ended up doing like from, I don't know, maybe in the first year, we probably were doing about 100 scripts a day with like total organic growth. We're no, no advertising, uh, no pay to play, like all like, you know, just and, and we were on the fourth floor. Uh, but, you know, that sort of led me down this path of being able to say, okay, if I can get it from zero to X in nine months, imagine what I did, if what, what I could do if I tried something else. And so I always look for opportunities that where I could like, you know, do something that was low risk and still, you know, make a profit that was reasonable and still, you know, invested back into business. Uh, and so I just started doing all of these different things. And I felt like the community that I partnered myself with was very supportive. Like no matter what I did, if I did clinical consulting, uh, there was another clinical consultant that would come in and says, you know what, you're doing good work. Have you tried this? No, I haven't. Can you show me what I should do and, and how I get started? That's all I needed. I just wanted somebody to show me how to get started. Uh, and then from there, it was trial error. Uh, and then just pick yourself up and try again. That's amazing. Um, and I mean, that's that, that's what a mentor is supposed to do, right? Like what he exactly did. He showed you what to do. And then he saw that you could do more and he kind of pushed you out, not pushed you out the door, but he was like, hey, I see great things in you and you can't do that here. You need to do it on your own. And that's amazing. I mean, that takes a pretty selfless individual to do something like that. It does. And, you know, it's it's hard to believe that, you know, most people don't have that mentor. Sometimes it, you know, sometimes it requires maturity, right? Like I can look back probably at that point in time when he called me into his office, like, why are you kicking me out? Like, what did I do that was so bad that you're like, nope. I'm just going to give you these nice fluffy words and you know you'll you'll figure it out on your own we you know we cut the cord but in reality he was like really genuinely looking out for me and i and i honestly believe that there are people that have them 
have at least one or two people within their circle that are doing that today. Uh, and maybe it's just a matter of having enough courage to take those words and put them into action. But yeah, it is, it's a matter of being able to understand like, you know, there's not a guarantee, but there's support and the support makes a big difference. Yeah, no, support definitely makes a difference. I mean, I mean, the only reason I'm here where I am is because of all the people around me. I kind of joke about it. Like they say it takes a village, but for me, it literally took a whole world to kind of get me <laughs> to where I got to. And I am more, I'm so grateful for everyone I've met along the way, people like yourself and others. But, um, but yeah, no. So then after that, all your businesses, you kind of sold them off. Then you were kind of doing this consulting thing where people, where you were trying to like personal branding and helping people transition. You kind of want to talk a little bit about that and kind of uh, what you saw, like in some pitfalls that you saw with people and, you know, maybe some advice that you gave to them. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So, you know, after I, I, I joined Walmart and I was working for them, like I spent 13 years with Walmart and another few months with Anthem before I stepped away. And this was like two months before the pandemic. Yeah. And so I'm a firm believer in, in fate, karma, God's destiny, you know, God's divine intervention, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I left at a point in time where my parents were really, really struggling. And I was like, you know, how do I balance this? Like, do I, how do I maintain, you know, a 60 hour a week job and at the same time support three elderly people? And the answer is you can't. Uh, even with a, a great supportive wife, you know, it's just not possible to do that. So, you know, it's like, look, we, there's, there's opportunities out there. We'll figure it out. But right now this is primary. This is like, you know, uh, objective number one. Why? That's when I stepped away from Anthem, started focusing on the parents, the pandemic happened. And I was like, you know, I, I have these skill sets. I have this knowledge base. There are always going to be people that are going to need somebody to shorten their learning curve and achieve their goals faster. So why not? Why not see what it's like to take 15, 16 years of talent acquisition expertise and provide it as a service? And so, you know, when I started this business, right, you know, I had taken like I was trying to take 17 years of this knowledge, skills and abilities of, of talent acquisition expertise. And I was like, let me go ahead and start this business and, and really help people that want to advance their career. Uh, and, you know, th there was a point in time where I was like overwhelmed and surprised at how well the business was doing, right? So when I would serve one one client, they wouldn't refer one, they would refer three. Uh, and I was starting to get like this mountain of like client referrals and I was like, this is great. But you know, of course, like you're limited by by your capacity. Long story short, what I found was this, is that, you know, in these conversations that I was having with these clients and potential clients, like these are people with amazing careers. Like they have like five, 10, 15, 20 years of project management, product over product ownership, uh, you know, speaking skills. I mean, just a variety of different things, but they were struggling to be able to like package and sell themselves. Like their resumes didn't quite capture what was necessary for a decision maker to express interest and to escalate their application to another level, right? So when I think of decision makers, we're talking sourcers, people that are going out there hunting and scouring the internet for, for people that have qualifications that match their jobs, recruiters that are going to inter interview and, and assess the quality of that candidate and pass them on to a hiring manager, obviously the hiring manager. So like, these people will come in and they would like start talking about like 15 years worth of like accolades and achievements but they couldn't consolidate it into a digestible format. And that's what's necessary in talent acquisition today, right? It's not about, let me share with you my entire life story or my entire professional story. Let me share with you nuggets of the great things that I've done so that it whets your appetite and wants you to invite and wants you to ask me more. That is how these things work. So what I found myself doing was saying, hey, we're going to be able to use uh, you know, formats that are not only readable by a human being. So if a recruiter gets your resume, they should be able to scan this in six or eight seconds and identify, wow, this person, you know, graduated with this degree. They have these different uh, skill sets and they are coming from uh, these, these organizations that are our direct competitors. Uh, but they should be able to also be read by, a, by, a, by an applicant tracking system. And I think that this is where sometimes, you know, we find ourselves forgetting that, we're living in such a fast paced world that the old way of saying, oh, I'm going to walk into a company and give them my resume and say, hey, you know, hire me. I want to talk to somebody like that's all gone. That's all gone. You are seeing systems today that are parsing through thousands, maybe tens and thousands of resumes a single day. And what it's looking for are resumes that speak a language 
that is comparable to their language, right? So for example, uh, you know, when I worked at Walmart, we would use the word associate a lot. And we used it so much so that job descriptions would include associate as part of their vernacular. Now, you may be coming from a company that uses the word employee. Well, if the system is trying to read it, like they may not, they won't make that connection. They don't automatically think associate equals employee. So that was one example, right? Then you would see other things where you would be looking at recruitment versus talent acquisition or pharmacy versus pharmacist. And all of these little things were things that most people just don't common sense, you know, doesn't dictate like, oh, there's a gap here that we need to be able to fix that. So my job was to be able to say, hey, let me gather all the information from you. Let me basically act as a transcription service so that I can take the best of who you are and create this resume that's going to be readable by a, an applicant tracking system and preferred by a recruiter. So that way your resume gets on the top of the pile. If somebody says, I want to talk to you. And once we get you to the, res the recruiter, then we need to be able to teach you how to interview well. So again, so many times we would have people that are, again, amazing individuals. These are executives and professionals that have tenure, they have experience, they know how to fix problems, they know how to strategize, they know how to corral and motivate teams. But when it comes to an interview, which is like really 20 minutes out of a 30 minute time slot, uh, you've got three or five minutes to get your point across in a concise story-like fashion. And, and most people just can't do that. And that's where I would come in and says, hey, here's how we're gonna do it. And then the other thing I would offer a lot is LinkedIn profile makeovers. Like you'd be surprised at how many people uh, have abandoned their LinkedIn profile. Like they started this like five, 10 years ago and they put in the basics, uh, but they don't update it. They don't refresh it. And so I'd be like, look, if you want the algorithm to work in your favor, we're going to have to give you a rebrand. Uh, and it's not difficult, right? It just takes time. And that's where most people don't want to invest that. So they would say, look, take the money, do it. And then I will just tell you if I like it or don't, and then we can fix one or two things. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I mean, you touched on a lot of points there. And so, I mean, let's touch on LinkedIn because that's kind of one of the last things you did. And like LinkedIn literally changed my life. And a lot of it was because, I mean, that's how I met you. That's how I kind of met really everyone. And it's kind of an still, to me, it's still a very underutilized platform. And can you kind of speak to the powers of LinkedIn and what it can provide for people? Yeah, I mean, I would tell you, so there's there's so many different things, right? And and having had the experience of being an entrepreneur, as a recruiter, as somebody who leverages LinkedIn to be able to promote both the company that I work for today, which is Simpler, uh, as well as the products and services that we offer to specific targeted groups. You know, LinkedIn has the magical ability to be able to a create a brand for you if you leverage it right but then expand your universe in terms of helping other people come into your, to your orbit. Um, and, and as you pointed out, Zane, like, you know, we, we met because of mutual connections on LinkedIn. Like we've never met each other before this. We didn't know that we were connected to so many people, uh, you know, outside of LinkedIn. So the first thing I will tell you is LinkedIn is a tool. It is no different than a car. It is no different than a microwave. It is no different than any other tool. It's not gonna do anything for you unless you learn how to push the buttons, you know, pull the levers and hit the gas in the right way and in the right process. So learning LinkedIn is, is really something that I encourage everyone to do. If you have any, any aspiration to do something more, I don't care if it's incremental, I don't care if it's a gigantic leap. If your big goal is to one day be the president of a company or to lead a national organization, or if it's simply just to say, look, I wanna do what I'm doing, but I wanna be happier doing it, you need to be on LinkedIn and you need to use it at least, at the very least, once or twice a week. Uh, and it can be simple, right? Like you don't have to sit there and digest, you know, you know, tons of this LinkedIn learning to figure out what, what steps to take. There's like three basic things that I encourage people to do. Number one, Try and connect with 10 people every week. It's as simple as it gets. You may not get anyone to respond immediately. You may have somebody accept your you know, LinkedIn invitation within 10 seconds, but your initial effort should be, should be doing outreach to people that you are attracted to professionally. 
uh, people that you admire, people that you wish that, you know, one day you want to grow up and, and do like whatever skill sets they have, or people that you believe may be a good fit for what it is that you do today. 10 people a week is not difficult. The other thing that I always encourage people to do is start commenting on other people's posts. Like we are notorious. People are notorious for being stalkers. Like they will connect with you and they will see your posts and they will be like, oh, that, that's a good post, but they will never like or heart or you know, support and they will never comment. And I will tell you that the best way to grow your network is to just leave a comment. That's the best thing that you can do because most people are like, I don't know what I should say. Don't say anything original. Don't say anything. You don't even have to post. You do need to comment on other people because you're, A, you're showing them support and B, you're exposing your profile to other people that are like-minded. So if you're following Zane and you see him talking about digital health and you see him about all the problems that plague healthcare today because of disparate systems uh, or because of a lack of communication or because of the fact that there are not enough clinicians helping uh, engineers redesign uh, systems that are more user-friendly and you're like, yes, these things are important to me. Comment on Zane's profile, comment on his post and you will see other like-minded people that will be like, who is this person, right? And they will want to follow you. And the other thing is after a certain point, like maybe a week, uh, maybe a month, two months, three months have gone by and you've built up this cadence, now post something that you've come across. It can be an article, it can be, you know, it can be an article that you've read, it can be a video that you have seen, it can be something that Zane or I have posted and you'll be like, I wanna share this with my network because this resonated with me and here's why. That's as simple as it gets. And you will be amazed because what you want to be able to do is a build a tribe of like-minded people they don't have to be 100 percent like you but if they are you know a pharmacist that is operating in a digital health space um, or if they're in procurement or if they're a recruiter or if they're in legal like you want to find other people that share the same pain points as you that have like you know found a way to solve problems that you are facing and then build this tribe but you're never going to do that unless you know who's out there, right? Because we're all limited by, by the four walls that we typically work in uh, and the few conferences that we're able to start attending once again. Yeah, and I can tell you I did exactly what he told me, and it works, guys. It, it, it's like magical what happens. Um, and you know what the nice thing about LinkedIn is? It's out of all the social media platforms, it's the one that you can get really good traction really quickly because LinkedIn in general, I think it's like 1% of people actually create it now it's two percent yeah it's two percent uh, yeah but so so it's like you're <laughs> so anything you put out there it will get pushed around um but yeah. like you know like so but yeah it's literally the steps i took and that's it completely changed my life so if anyone's listening to this whatever he said in the last like couple minutes do exactly that and your your life will literally change honestly like it's literally changed my life but i kind of want to jump into um you know, your talent acquisition life, you know, kind of what you've been doing majority of your career now. So you kind of mentioned something about like resumes and things like that. So I think that's the one thing that I struggled with the most, uh, especially with career transitioning. So we we will touch on career transitioning right now. So it was like, I didn't know how to make my resume attract, you know, for those people. I like, I literally had to cut out 90% of my clinical work. And like you said, reword things, this and that. So do you have a good, if somebody came up to you and said, Hey, like, what would you do? Like, do you, do you think that you, so I've heard a couple of things, right? People say, look at the job description, take the words kind of like you mentioned, right? With associate versus employee, all that stuff, make that in. Do you think you should make a new resume for each one? How should you go about crafting a resume? Like what, where do you stand on that? Uh, that side of the, like, which side of the fence do you stand on? Sure. So I'm going to break the answer down from two perspectives, right? Because the way that I work today with Simpler, uh, you know, my job has been for the last year to work with other talent acquisition teams exclusively in the healthcare space. So all of our clients are either hospitals or health systems and a few post-acute providers, right? So long-term care facilities, uh, home care, things of that nature. Um, but, you know, for the majority, all of, all of my clients are in the talent acquisition space. And the struggles that they see are being able to create systems, sequences, and platforms that, A, attract candidates, right? So I, I know right now, immediately, like, your audience is probably thinking, look, I want the answer from, for me as an individual, right? I'm looking for a new job. 
I am looking to transition. I want you, Iqbal and Zayn, to give me the answer so I know what to do. And I promise you I will. But I also want you to recognize that from a recruiter's perspective, like here's what's top of mind for them. And if you know that, you can be able to short, short circuit some of the, ta the tactics that you can use. So number one, job descriptions for the most part for companies are going through a transformation, right? You know, if you go now, you will see pretty much like 70%, maybe 60% of job descriptions are still the old archaic format of like, oh, come join us, right? And like, these are all the things that we want you to do, list of responsibilities. Uh, and the thing is like four, five, seven pages long, uh, which means how many people really sit down and go through the actual job description to have an adequate understanding of what's required and what would be expected? Very few, right? And that's where part of the drop-off has been. Uh, you know, we're not even going to go down and talk about the healthcare workforce shortage because that's a huge topic. Uh, but Zane, I'll leave it up to you. If you want to go there, we will. But the first thing is the job description is being transformed because TLDR, everyone is in this mindset of too long, don't read. Uh, and if they're not going to read it, they're not going to A, apply, and B, they're not going to be successful if they apply because they never understood what it was that the job description was asking for. So talent acquisition professionals are very well aware of this, and they're working with HR, with legal, with other hiring managers and operations to make a digestible job description. Remember, we talked about resumes being digestible. Yeah, we want job descriptions to be digestible as well. Number two, uh, data is king. Uh, and what we're discovering as we help our clients go through their recruitment data is, is that uh, obviously the number of applications has declined dramatically. This pandemic has shifted everything for everyone, not predominantly healthcare professionals, right? So medical doctors, nurses, NPs, uh, pharmacists, uh, you know, physician, uh, physical therapists, respiratory therapists, anyone with a degree uh, is like in, in high demand, short supply. But it's also impacted food service workers, environmentalists, you know, environmental and housekeeping, uh, ITIS, like every aspect of the operating institution is struggling, uh, which is good for, you know, people that want to advance their career, uh, but it's also caused a shift. So there are a lot of things happening in TA and we work with our clients to be able to go through their applicant tr tracking system. Uh, many of them use simpler recruiting, which is our own proprietary applicant tracking system. And we show them, hey, here's all the data that your system has housed. Here's how you pull it, and here's how we analyze it for you so that you know where to double down and where to back off. So that's one piece. Now, for the individual that's listening to this and they're like, okay, great, that's wonderful. You know, I'm not in the HR or the TA space. I actually want to interface with HR and TA. So what do I need to do? So the first thing I will tell you is, you know, when it comes to a resume, the big word right now is upskilling, right? Everyone is in the mindset of how do we help people that don't have the skills that we need today and that we literally cannot find, how do we help our current staff get those skill sets? And I'll tell you that a lot of companies today have invested quite a few dollars into massive open online courses or what normally goes by the acronym MOOC, M-O-O-C. So when I'm, when I'm talking about MOOCs, I'm talking predominantly about Udemy, Coursera, uh, you know, even Google's got a, quite a few. Uh, and, you know, I've gone through a few of their programs. They're very, very helpful. Uh, and I learned a lot. Uh, edX is another, Harvard X. I mean, there are all of these programs uh, and all of these platforms where you can go and learn and in many cases, get a certification to learn how to do digital marketing, to learn about, you know, AWS uh, or Amazon Web Services. And these are the things that most people are like hesitant to explore, hesitant to expand and hesitant to invest in. Again, there's really no cost in many of these, or it's very low cost, but these are the skill sets that are required. And so when it comes to, you know, talking about all the great things that you have done in the space of, and I'm just going to talk about you and me right now, Zane, as a pharmacist, right? So you, you and I can say we're adept communicators. Uh, we definitely facilitate collaboration, right? We work in interdisciplinary teams. Uh, we understand uh, cost. Uh, we understand like, cost-effective outcomes, we talk about therapies, we can do all that. But then if you're gonna apply for a marketing role or for a product, you know, a procurement role or a project management role, like those things don't translate. And so you asked me very bluntly, Zane,
do you need to create a new resume for every position that you apply? I would think that that would be a waste of time and effort. However, you should have different resumes for different umbrellas or different verticals, right? So for example, you know, you've done so well in your community pharmacy or hospital pharmacy job, but now you want to go and work for, uh, you know, a, a software as a service company um, or for a, a wholesaler, right? And you, they're not these patient-facing provider roles. Like these are different level roles that require different skill sets. What you need to be able to do is look at a, a group of jobs that fall into the same family and be able to pick out what are the words that I'm seeing repeatedly in the job description, specifically qualifications, or what are the role, what, are, what does the role entail and how will that be measured by from a success perspective? And then think, you know, if I take out these words that are like cherry picked words, and I translate that to what I've done, what can I think of as a story of success that I can bring to this, right? So they may say like, we're gonna need you to be able to interface with vendors um, or with other, you know, um, uh, with, other, uh, with other players and with other, you know, industry uh, relations, things of that nature. Like, have you ever represented your organization at a career fair or at an industry event where you can say, my job was to be able to talk about X, Y, Z, in my past role, if yes, that is something that you can re, you know, basically revise so that it speaks to what that job is looking for. And there's lots of stories that I've been able to help my clients as a consultant do that. And I think it's important that when, if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, well, I don't know where to start. My first suggestion is take some time, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, block yourself off in a room and think about the highlights of your career. And even if you're a two-year, you know, tenured professional, there are things that you have done in your two years of being a practicing nurse, practicing pharmacist, practicing physician, where you can say, here are like four or five examples of what I did. Like, here's my success. And then you need to create a story that follows a simple arc. The arc is, we usually use the STAR acronym for interviews. So you need to be able to describe what the situation was you need to be able to describe the, the problems that you saw in that situation. Like, you know, if you were tasked to do X, Y, Z, what did you recognize as an obstacle upfront? Like, was it time? Was it money? Was it support? Was it manpower? Were you gonna be able to delegate? So you can identify those. Then you talk about the actions that you took, right? So I already knew what my problem was. My boss came in, threw this on my lap and said, you have to go do this. And I realized I don't have the time or the manpower, or the support or the money that I need. So here's what I did. I did X, Y, and Z. Uh, and then when I did those things, this is what the outcome was, right? Everybody wants to know about outcomes. We talk about clinical outcomes all the time. These are results-oriented outcomes. Identify what those were, and then think about what you did well and think about what you could have done better if this, if this opportunity presented itself to you again. That is your arc. And that is what you need to be able to use in both interviews and uh, really summarize in a one, or two line bullet point on every resume. And that is what it is that will be able to help you translate your, your experiences in the past to the job that you want going forward. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can't really add anything to that because that's literally what I had to do. I had to basically gut my resume for all the clinical things. Like, you know, because that didn't really matter to them, right? They don't care I'm, I'm working in clinic and doing this and that, but they do care about you know how I dealt with customers being the patients or being the thing. So I had to like take my clinical stuff, kind of reword it, kind of like you're mentioning, right? Take what I did, reword it, take all the clinical jargon out of there, take the jargon that they're using, put that in there. And because, you know, like like to your point, you know, we complain about people not understanding medicine, right? Oh, they don't understand this because they don't speak the same language as us. The same thing applies the other direction. They don't, they, we need to be speaking the same language as them for them to kind of look at us. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like, I mean, when I think about what is looked at, uh, they want to see skills. And, and these are for most of the, you know, managerial positions, director level positions, regardless. Like, um, they want to see, are you able to manage your time? Are you able to prioritize? Are you able to resolve conflict? Are you able to, you know, develop and train other people without authority? Uh, and then, you know, how are you growing and training and developing yourself along with others? 
I, it, I can't think of a position that these elements haven't been brought in or aren't being looked at or scrutinized uh, in any level or shape. It's, it's always there. Uh, and I can tell you that as a patient facing provider, like you just do that every day. You don't think about it. You just don't think about it. You don't go, oh, today I'm, you know, you, as a community pharmacist, your mind says, uh, today I filled 600 prescriptions, right? You don't think about how many times you had to like exercise patience when you were trying to get a prior authorization with working with an insurance company that was had to be routed through by a nurse that you had to contact. Like these are steps. It's a project. Guess what? You managed a project. And we just don't know how to translate that. So I think it's it's great to hear you that it's great to hear you understood that at an early point, you know, when you were applying and you were like, okay, I, I can't, you know, use 400 prescriptions a day, 800 prescriptions a day. I have to talk about the challenges that I faced and how I overcame them and what were the results? Because that's what people want. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was early. It was kind of late. It took me a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to admit this to the rest of the world. Uh, it took me a while because I honestly didn't know kind of your point, right? I just saw it as a job. I'm just doing my job. I'm not like, you know, I'm not doing anything else. And I just never thought about it as transferable skills. And like when talking to people like you and others, they're like, you know, you've done this, this, and this. I'm like, no, I haven't. They're like, have you done this? Have you talked to a patient? Have you done this? You know, have you, have you resolved conflict? Like, you know, did you, you know, what happened when a drug went wrong? Like, what did you do then? That's literally all this is what he's talking about. I'm like, holy crap, that's right. Uh, and that, that's when like the light bulbs, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. And that's when like, I completely revamped my resume, but yeah, I mean, so then there's another question that a lot of people ask is when you're looking at job descriptions and there's qualifications, right? And I'm under the mindset that no one's really going to ever meet 100% of qualifications because then you're just applying to a job that it's not moving up, right? Like, you know, that's the whole point of doing that. So what are you, what are your, like, you know, you're a person who's actually looking at recruiting and all that. So like, what do you tell people? Like, do you put a lot of stock in qualifications? Like, hey, do you meet, like, is there a certain threshold? Like, oh, you have to meet at least 50, 70, 100%. Like, what do you tell people that? You know, so it's interesting you asked me that question, Zane. I think there's a study out that shows that men will apply for a job uh, when they are about 60, when they meet 60% of the qualifications, um, and women apply when they're like around 80 or 90. Wow. Like, they will wait until see, like, well, you know what, of these 10, um, I need to have at least nine before I will even consider applying, and then if they do or don't, right? Now, it's not... You know, it's just an observation that's been made. What I think is fascinating is, is that most of the time, and again, we are dealing at a weird transformational point, right? Where older job descriptions are sitting alongside new job descriptions. Uh, and so the old job description format would essentially rank the importance of qualification at the top and work its way down. So, you know, if you have a list of 10, your top three, top four, like those are musts. You know, if you don't have a bachelor's degree in X, uh, and if you don't have X number of years and that's listed as number one and number two, um, you will just automatically be skipped over. They will just say, look at your resume. They'll look at the job description. They say, you know what? You don't meet the first two. Why would I waste my time looking at the rest of these? Uh, there are some where they will kind of intersperse them. But I would tell you that, you know, when it comes to the number and the prioritization, like it's always important to look at the top two or three to be able to say, look, if I don't have like this, um, or if I'm so far away from achieving that, like if you, if they say, we need people that have at least five years of experience, but you happen to have four or four and a half, don't talk yourself out of it, like apply, right? If that's, if that's a criteria, if you, you know, don't, if you have a degree, but they're looking for somebody with a certification and you're currently enrolled in a program, uh, or you're going to be taking that certification in the next three months, apply. Because you, by the time you get to potentially to, you know, having a recruiter meet with you, talk to you and get to the hiring manager, you will already have put on your resume that, hey, pending certification. And then they will use that and says, oh, great. How far are you away? Oh, 60 days, 90 days. Let's talk. Because by the time we sign the deal, you won't be starting until then. So it really depends right now. As for the other elements that may be listed in responsibilities, there is a certain percentage of that, which is nice to have. And this is where it gets great because recruiters will look at this and they will say, look, hiring manager, we've talked about this. What is critical? What is like absolutely essential for a candidate to have for me to bring them to you? And they're going to say, oh my God, all of it. And the reality is, is like, look, come on, man. Like there's just not, there is no parallel universe where you are going to find this purple unicorn that comes falling out of the sky that we say, 
oh wow, Mr. Ms. Hiring Manager, we have this person for you. They meet all, they check all the boxes. We have to be realistic, right? And this is where that conversation happens between a talent acquisition professional and a hiring manager. Like, look, are you, what are you going to do to add to this person if, they, if you bring them onto your team? Like, they've got everything. Like, why would they even work for you? Like, they, they need to be developed and they need to be trained. Which one of these things do you feel confident as a hiring manager to say, if we bring this person on board, I will take her or him under my wing and I will help them grow? Right, and that's where the conversation takes place. So then they say, okay, so of these 10, which ones are really critical? Well, I definitely wanna make sure that they have X, Y, and Z, but if they don't have A, B, and C, you know what, still, I wanna see their resume. Um, and so there's no clear cut answer. My, my tendency is to say, look at the first three, uh, if there's a large number, if, like, if there's 10, the, the top three or 33% of those requirements should be met. Uh, or should be close to having been met. Everything else really falls into A, nice to have, or B, I'm almost there and I can sell you on how I can overcome not having that today because I have something else that's close to or similar. Yeah, wow, okay. I was expecting like a much larger number and I didn't actually even, I guess it makes sense when you say it, like the top ones are the ones that they're really like focusing on. Um, like I would sometimes not even apply when like I was like on, Eight. I'm like, oh, I don't have that one, you know. I, but I have like the top six. Like, I don't have eight. You know what? I'm just not going to do it. Uh, so that's good to know. I mean, like, like I said, I did not know that at all. But I um, think you know, I want to add one thing to this, right? Because I, I feel that there's a lot of people that will there's there's people that fall into two camps. There are those people that are highly selective for roles and jobs that they think are like the job, right? Like they will not consider anything else that may have some tangential responsibilities, but it doesn't have all of them. And then on the other side of the coin, there are people that are serial appliers, right? These are the people that will just like apply to 15, 20, 30 every single day with companies that they want to work for. It doesn't matter what the job is, doesn't matter you know, if they have the responsibilities or not. And I feel that because that this is something that I've seen now for, you know, definitely over the, the course of my career in talent acquisition, but more so in the last few years, I think candidates do themselves a disservice in both of these camps. I think it's important for individuals to, number one, be selective, but not so selective that you sort of price yourself out of the market. You don't be, you know, if you apply to the, the, the job that you think is like the golden goose and you don't get it, leverage that application and the relationship that you may have built with a recruiter or a hiring manager to say, hey, listen, I get it. I wasn't chosen this time, but what else is there that's either exactly like this or similar like this that you think is either open today or that you see that's in the pipeline or has been business approved for open in the next quarter? They'll tell you because number one, it will shorten their time to fill and number two, it will shorten their time for having to scour and scavenge the internet to find like-minded and qualified candidates. So they, if they can say, hey, Zane, I'm sorry that you know this did not work out for you, but we've got something that's kind of like might be up your alley. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah, I want to hear about it. And once they tell you what that is and when, they, when it opens up, they'll call you and they'll say, Zane, just want you to know it's been four weeks since we last talked, but that position is now open. Here is the link. We, we hope you apply. It's a soft opening. You have a higher propensity of being selected for the role, certainly for getting the interview, and you will speed up the curve. On the other side of the coin, which is the other camp, you're applying to everything under the sun, you know, from an environmental service uh, personnel to, to executive vice president. Um, what you're doing is you're developing a reputation for yourself and not in a good way. Uh, you will not be selected and you will not be reached out to by other recruiters because they really understand that you're not focused, that there are, there's no boundaries, there's no standards. You don't add value to their organization. You're more of a, you know, you're more of positioning yourself as somebody that is a jack of all trades potentially, and that's not what they want. They want somebody that is enough of a subject matter expert to be able to, that can also pivot and flex that they can leverage for the company's value. And I think that that's also important because if you're going to come to an organization and you can be selective about the types of organizations and say, look, 
I'm willing to consider everything that falls under, in my case, HR, in your case, perhaps procurement or, you know, um, you know, whatever that may be, um, or for others in, in legal or project management, stay in that kind of wheelhouse. You can look up and down like certain levels in that family, but don't apply to every job under the sun, because if you apply to multiple jobs within the same family, they'll know that you're serious. They'll want to find you a job because they see that you're applying to jobs that are, you know, being routed through the same number of hiring managers or talking to the same group of recruiters. And they will say, you know what, this individual really wants to find something within this space. Let's, let's help this person. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I didn't even, I mean, the, the, I didn't even know you could ask recruiters if there was a new job. Like I said, I've been, I was searching for a job for like three and a half years and I'm learning something guys like, this is amazing. Um, I was going to say, so, so when you're going through the job process, right, there's a lot of people applying right now. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of layoffs recently and, um, and a lot of people leaving, a lot of people trying to transition, all that stuff. One thing that I found was it is really helpful to network inside the, inside the company with somebody or even going up to the hiring manager. Like for me, it was, it took people like you, like, Hey, you should reach out to the hiring manager. Like, why don't more people do that? And why should they be doing that? So it's a two-part question. Let me, let me answer the first part, which is they're scared that they think it's going to hurt their chances. Like why, you know, they, in most people's mind, there's a process, right? It's not written anywhere. It's not like, you know, the Quran or the Bible. There's like, not this like standardized process that you must follow, but their, their belief in this unseen process exists. And that is what blocks them from being able to think, well, what if I just make myself known, right? They, they feel like they're going to hurt their chances. It's, it's absolutely the opposite. I mean, there is no ever, there's no harm uh, if you ever make an initial contact with a hiring manager or somebody at a higher level within a company to be able to introduce yourself, share some things about you, learn about them. And more, most importantly, if you do that, ask them what you can do to help. You'd be surprised. Like, you know, I've worked in a director level role. I've worked as an individual contributor role. And I mean, in all of these positions, and I've owned my own company, I've been a CEO. People are strapped for time and they're strapped for expertise. And if you can literally just come in and just say, what can I do to help you? You never know. I have, I have leveraged uh, out of the kindness of their hearts. And they have said, what can I do for you? And I said, hey, can you help me spread the awareness of this issue? Or can you, you know, share this post? Or do you know somebody that works in this space? Yeah, they do. Everyone can help in the smallest capacity. So if you're talking to an EVP and they're like, you know, what, what can I do for an EVP? There's always something. There's always something. So make that initial contact. Don't stalk them, obviously. Like, don't reach out to them once a week and be like, oh, when can we meet? You know, what I really want to talk to you. Like, once or twice... And, and spread it out, spread it out like meaning three weeks. Like you, you reached out to them once, they didn't respond. Reach out to them again about a month later, just like, hey, you know what? Wanted to see if there was a time that we could get together. And if not, hey, you've done your due diligence, right? But if you are unwilling to make an initial attempt, then the, the, the door is closed because of you. Uh, so that's the first thing I would say, is that it really is a mindset that you just have to overcome. Right now, we are operating in a very different phase of post-pandemic, uh, you know, of, of a workforce shortage, right? Like, you know, and, and I work a lot with nurses who are facing a crisis that is beyond describable, right? Like, we, we you know, having a, being a pharmacist and having seen iterations of high supply, low demand, and vice versa, high demand, low supply, twice in my 25-year career, uh, you know, this has been a very interesting ride for pharmacists. Nurses have been hemorrhaging talent now for decades. Uh, maybe two years ago, there was a report that came out uh, from an association that was nursing-based that said, hey, guys, we are expecting to lose a million nurses in the next two years. This was like 2020, 2021. Like all of these millions of nurses are going to retire and we do not have enough to backfill them. Now, fast forward a year and a half later, like 57% of clinicians, their patient-facing providers, have ultimately said, we are not going to stay in this profession at the end of this year. 
So when you have that, when you have that, and you are seeing these nurses and pharmacists and physicians, but mostly nurses that are providing care, and these are all levels, right? So LCNA, LPN, RN, MSN, DNP, they are like, I'm done, burnout, burnout is maxed out. I think what's important to recognize is, is that if they are already at this phase, they are also going to be looking at doing different things. Again, for the individual that's thinking, what am I supposed to do? Hiring managers today do not have, and recruiters are equally in this boat, the talent pipelines are dry. I mean, we, I, I've been beating this drum now for two, three, four years, uh, two years for sure. The talent pipeline is drying up dramatically. And if you really want to be you know, advancing your career, you need to be building relationships with decision makers uh, because number one, you don't know if they're going to be enrolled themselves in the next three or six months. But more importantly, if you can hit it off uh, and develop and start a relationship with that person, either through your own efforts um, or through just a good chemistry, like it will help open doors that are going that are not even being built today. Two years from now, there's going to be a new industry that's going to pop up, right? We've you and I have mentioned this before. I've done several posts about AI whether it's ChatGPT, OpenAI, uh, and a plethora of them that are coming. Uh, we're all, they're all going to find jobs with these companies, right? And if you are developing relationships with them and developing your expertise in that space, like I'm trying to do, uh, you won't have to worry. You're going to be like, remember that guy? Yeah, well, I met him two years ago. Uh, and He always talks about artificial intelligence and what that means for the healthcare you know, pipeline. I think we should bring this guy in. Let's just at least have a conversation with him, right? And that's for me. Like I'm being selfish in this in this conversation. Like I, somebody from two years from now is going to remember either how our conversation went uh, and how they always see like you know once a month or every two weeks. I always talk about how AI is mod, how AI is changing, how it's requiring input from clinicians uh, and development uh, develop ops DevOps people together. Uh, and this guy's always you know sounding an alarm. So we need to bring this guy in. And I think that that's where you can add value by reaching out to people today that are two, three, four levels above you. Like, do not be afraid. Do not be scared. Do not look at someone's title and go, oh, you know, can't talk to a director. Like, they'll just eat me alive. No, they're not. They're not going to eat you alive. I've been a director myself. I've been a VP. I've been a CEO. We like people. Most people like people. Uh, and as long as you can find common ground, you'll be fine. Just reach out. Yeah, 100%. That was one of the things that I was really afraid of doing. I was only reaching out to people maybe one step or one or the same parallel as me. Um, and great, great people, but they weren't in decision making roles. So, you know, it was a great conversation. And I most of my time, I was just trying to build a relationship, right. But like, I, I would just randomly, I think I forgot who it was, I reached out to an SVP, they reached back to me, I talked to them I'm like, holy crap. And you find out that these people are just normal human beings. There's nothing that's different about them. I know, I know somebody out there needs to hear this. There's nothing different about them. They're just normal human beings. Like you said, they have the same problems as us. They put their socks on the same way, the pants one leg at a time. Like they're, they're just normal people. And like you said, everyone, you can help anyone. It's just a matter of you being a little bit creative about how you approach them. And then, um, yeah, and definitely follow up, right? I mean, don't stalk them or bother them. But, you know, there's a lot of times where I followed up with people a couple of weeks later, maybe months later, and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I forgot to reply back because depending on and LinkedIn has like the worst messaging thing ever. Like you cannot, I LinkedIn, if you're hearing this, I don't know why you would be, but can you just have a tab that just says unread, please? Like just one unread tab that I can just go to and just look at unread messages because uh, I, if you've messaged me and I haven't replied back, I'm really sorry. But yeah, a lot of times it's just because they forgot to do it. They meant to reply back to you, whatever it's, so there's a lot of things, but, and also there's a lot of people in the world. If one person doesn't reply back to you, just go on to the next person. Like it's just, just keep moving forward. Exactly. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you a great example of this. Like when I started my podcast, Healthcare and Hire, like about a year and a half ago, like I, I had a, a network of executives uh, and leaders that I had worked with, but that was not like the, the episodes were on, at the time of this recording, we will have had 66 episodes. Uh, and I will tell you that half of the people, at least half of those people that have been on my show are people that I reached out to on LinkedIn uh, because of their title and their level. And I said, look, you're doing some amazing work for an organization that is very well known. 
and that it's really been impactful for the patients and for the providers and the payers that you serve. I would love for you to share your story. I mean, if I'm getting 40 people that I've never met before that are saying, hey, yeah, you know what? I'd love to be able to share my story. Thanks for the opportunity. It's because I took a chance and just reached out to them. Now, do I have a list of people that have never responded? Yeah, sure I do. But I probably say it's a three or four to one ratio. For every four people that don't respond, one person does. And in sales, I will tell you that that is like amazing. Like in sales, you have to reach out to a hundred people for 10 people to go, you know what? I might be interested, let's talk. And if you talk to those 10 people, you're lucky if you can get one, maybe point one for them to say, I'm, I'm ready, let's sign the deal. So I think it's important that it is a numbers game. There are people, there is a, a certain quota that you should have mentally prepared to say, hey, if I want to grow my network, if I want to meet people, and if I want to help other people, I need to hit X number. That's why I said, if you're reaching out and trying to establish and build you know, a, a, a new connection 10 times a week, right? So 10 invites every week, that is 520 invitations that get sent out. And if you're lucky, 10% 10, 10 of them say, yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll sign up. Uh, that means 50 you know, new people. But for me, honestly, it's a four to one thing. I mean, LinkedIn is pretty, LinkedIn is pretty good. Mm -hmm. like they're, they're, most people on LinkedIn are like, cool, I'll expand my network. Maybe we'll learn from each other or whatnot. So even if I get half, uh, which I kind of do, um, it, it's a great way. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's like, I think the moral of the story is just reach out to people. Uh, we're all human beings. We all bleed the same way. And it's all, it's, it's not the end of the world. And you're, like you said, it's funny that you mentioned like, you know, executives interviewing like earlier in the thing, like they're, they get scared too. And that's like, and we kind of put everyone on a pedestal, but like, we all have the same fears. We all are worried about things. I've interviewed people that were like, oh man, I'm really scared. And I'm like, and, I, and to me, I'm like, man, you, you, you seem so confident all the time. And he's like, yeah, just let me, you know, it's, we're all the same, right? You know, and that's yep. one thing that throughout this process I've learned. And it sounds stupid to say that, that took me this process to learn that, <laughs> but it, it does, it did help quite a bit. But yeah, let's wrap this up by, um, you know, what kind of advice would you have given yourself, you know, as you were coming out of pharmacy school, like, you know, as a current, as current pharmacy school grads or just graduate students are graduating right now, like what kind of advice would you give them? Man, that's a good one, Zane. Um, I think... And I'm going to kind of condense this because, you know, I'm like, I'm an older person now, right? I'm, I'm over 50. Uh, so I kind of have to think about my, the lessons that I live by today, but have taken me this much time to get here. The first thing is know who you are. Like you should be able to look at yourself because you're going to be surrounded and influenced by a lot of different people with a lot of different priorities and a lot of different agendas. And some things are good for you and some things are bad for you. But if you don't know who you are, even like to a certain percentage, if you can't stand on a couple of morals, principles, values, then you are going to be destroyed quickly. And you will just have to rebuild yourself again and again and again until you figure out two or three things that you're like, nah, I'm about these things and everything else is nice, but it's not for me. So I think you know that's the first part. On the other side of that coin, you still need to be open and flexible, right? So if there are things that you are like absolutely adamant, you know, if you are adamantly committed to, you should be exposing yourself to different thoughts on that subject matter. You should be like, oh, you know what? I really care about, you know, uh, for example, like talent assessments, right? So my company, Simpler, uh, offers this tool called the talent assessment tool. And personally, I think it's a great way to be able to objectively quantify and sorry, qualify candidates that apply. We always talk about organization and cultural fit, right? And so it's really hard to tell in three or four interviews, is this person going to be a good fit for us? But through the tool that we use, you're able to actually assess that and be like, wow, they scored high in these things and these things are important to us, right? So Simpler knows who it is and they look for people based using this tool. So I think like if you're going to know the things that you're really focused on, that it's important to gather perspectives about those topics or the things that are important to you and grow your mindset in that space. I'll give you a wonderful example. I hate and do not care about finances. I don't understand finances. I don't understand taxes. I know I make money. I know somehow we invest it uh, and it brings us, you know, it generates more revenue through the stock market and what we do, right? 
but I leave all of that to my wife because she understands that world. So if something comes to me or somebody says, Iqbal, let me talk to you about this financial vehicle. And I'm like, oh, bro, I, I don't know. And I don't care. If you want to talk to somebody that cares, talk to my, my better half. She will, she will take that from me because I don't want to know about it. Right. But if you talk to me about healthcare, human resources, talent acquisition, pharmacy, like those things excite me. Now, do I agree with all the things that people talk about in those spaces? No, but I will listen to them because those are topics that are important to me. And either I can learn something or I can stand stronger in my, on my principles and be like, no, you know what? You are wrong. And here is why you are wrong. So I think that that's important to be confident and understand how to operate in the world that we're living in today uh, and still be, be, be good at what we do. Yeah, no, that's amazing advice. Um, yeah, I don't really have to, but I think, yeah, to your point of knowing who you are really helps quite a bit because, um, not to get too sappy or anything, but like, you know, there's a lot of people trying to tear people down. You know, there's a lot of things going on, but if you have something to ground you at all times, you can always go back to that and that'll, that'll keep you go, going through. But yeah, man, this was amazing. I am so excited for people to listen to this. Uh, so if anyone wants to reach out to you, uh, where should they, how should they do that? <laughs> the number one place you will find me and you will get the fastest response is going to be LinkedIn. So please do connect with me. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. There is another Iqbal Acha, but not as handsome as me. Uh, <laughs> he's actually in the United <laughs> Kingdom and uh, we did connect, uh, but you will find me, type in my name, uh, happy to connect with you and see what I can do to either help you or find ways to partner and make, uh, make the world a better place. Yeah, and you also have a podcast. Do you mind kind of telling us what the podcast name is? Oh and, my God, yeah, I would be happy to do talk that. About? Yep, happy to do that. So the name of the podcast is called Healthcare and Hire. Uh, I invite healthcare executives who were former or current healthcare professionals and that have really advanced in their career. I bring them on the show and we talk about the great things that they do, the way that they help take healthcare to a higher level, a lot about career advice, so the things that they faced as problems and how they overcame them, who helped them along the way and what they look for uh, and how they, how they uh, build up their team so that they can also advance in their career as well. Uh, you will find me uh, in the Healthcare Hire podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, and there's also a link to it on my profile. So visit the profile, click on the Healthcare and Hire podcast link, and it will take you right there. You can see all 66 uh, guests that have interviewed so far, uh, and we have another 40 in the pipeline. Awesome. Awesome. It's a great podcast, guys. You just definitely uh, listen to it. But uh, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, and yeah, that was amazing. I learned a lot uh, just in this little conversation. I know a lot of people will as well. Thank you, Zane. It's been a pleasure to be on your show and I appreciate the opportunity.